I'm doing good. Who are you? I'm Craig Faulkner. I'm Kirk Faulkner. The last I checked. <laughs> I don't know if we have a real set opening for these. No, yet, we don't. I, I, I think you usually say I'm Kirk Faulkner. Yeah, I, know. I say Craig Faulkner. But, but this I like the way you changed it up. You got to go first. This is episode seven, I believe. And I'm going to be the teacher tonight. Oh, good. I can't wait. I'm feeling a little like I want to be taught. A little yeah. lazy, I was going to say. But I know I need to really get involved in active listening and... So I, I'm really not lazy tonight. Yeah, being focused on your active listening works right in with what I'm going to talk about oh, tonight. And I'm really excited about it. I took this topic from the book that I just finished reading called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. And so my topic tonight is how to make a bet. How to make a bet. Now, are we talking about how to make a bet in Las Vegas? Because when you emailed me and you listed this topic, how to make a bet, I thought, hmm, this should be interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am a pretty avid poker player. I've been yeah. playing poker for about 10 years in casinos and, yeah. and card rooms. And I'm not a great poker player. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've had moments where I did pretty well at it. But overall, I've never gotten good enough at it to, you know, really consider it anything more than just kind of a pastime, you know? Yeah. I could count on one hand the number of times I played poker. So I'm not a gambler from a casino standpoint, from a casino standpoint. probably in business, I'm yeah. more of a gambler. I, yeah, absolutely. I place bets. I am guessing though, that this is not about placing bets in Vegas. This is more. No, I mean, as you just pointed out, like how business is kind of yeah. a bet. Well, really everything in life is a bet because mm -hmm. any decision you make, you are putting forth the idea that this is going to be the thing that brings you the most of what you want for what you have to pay for it. And you have to pay for everything with either time, money, energy. So if you take a new job, that's a gamble. That's a bet. You know, right, if you start dating right. a new person, that's a bet. That's a real gamble. Even what you have for breakfast in the morning is eating a box of donuts going to pay off in the long run. <laughs> well, we know the result there. No. <laughs> Yet somehow <laughs> we still do it sometimes. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what exactly is a bet. And then we're going to talk about how to learn from bets, how to make better bets, etc. If I get too in the weeds on any of this, because there's some technical stuff, you'd let me know. Okay. I'll say you bet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about is game theory. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately. One thing that Annie Duke says in this book that I like is she says, life is more like poker than it is like chess. There's this thing called game theory and it's basically like statistics and like probability and like all of the things that go on behind games. And there's two types of games when you divide them. There's games with perfect knowledge and games with imperfect knowledge. Mm -hmm. So chess is a perfect knowledge game because you can see everything that's happening. But poker is imperfect knowledge because a lot of the important information, you don't have it. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, absolutely. So we look at life like we can maybe get it to a place where we have perfect information. We never can. Never can. There's always something going on. Somebody's either trying to bluff you you know, <laughs> there's information you don't have or, you know, there's just things outside of the scope of what you can know in life. That it's too complicated because life isn't black and white like that. It doesn't make any sense to ever be 100 percent sure or zero percent sure of something. You know, you're always somewhere in the middle. I said I was coming over tonight. I'm like, I'll 100 percent be there. Well, 
there's a lot of things that could happen between right. then and me actually coming over. So more realistic would have been to say like, yeah, 85% chance I'll be there. The problem is, and if I did say that to you, it would sound to you like I wasn't coming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the way that we communicate, like, doesn't always match up with this. And like politicians are great examples of this. You've never heard a politician who is anything less than completely sure of what they said. Right. Yeah, absolutely. A big theme in this whole book is to like kind of get yourself out of this position of certainty and get yourself to a position of confidence. You can be confident that your decision is going to be right, but it might not be. In the book, she has a lot of great examples of like situations where somebody made the right call, but it didn't turn out well. And it doesn't make the decision bad. It just makes the outcome not the one you wanted. Because like if, if it's a 60% chance that something's going to happen, well, 40% of the time is still a lot of the time. Right. But you should still make the 60% chance. So she has a little equation where she says life is equal to the sum of all your bets plus luck. Kind of the quality of your life or how your life turns out is equal to the sum of all your bets that you make plus luck. Plus some luck. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. You know, you got to leave room for that X factor. Is that jiving with how you felt about your business life in the past? Absolutely. I mean... You know, the old saying, I'd rather be lucky than smart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that I certainly have made bets on business, Mm -hmm. you know, over the years. And there's absolutely no question in both of the two major businesses I started, certainly the most recent one, FMG Suite Faulkner Media Group. I started that company and I really started it without a technology platform Mm -hmm. and I was lucky enough to stumble onto a technology platform that I was able to acquire that helped accelerate the growth of the company and the rest, as they say, is history. I made a bet that if I were to go back into the publishing business, the digital publishing business, that I could be successful. But certainly, I didn't have a perfect knowledge at all. I had confidence. And then I was very, I'd like to say, fortunate. Mm-hmm. slash lucky, yeah. that, as I said, I was able to stumble onto this technology platform. I do believe in our ability to create our own luck, though. Yeah. I think action and positive forward momentum does create opportunity or what some would call luck. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to say that one thing I think is one of your strong suits, and this goes back to one of our earlier episodes, is that you have a really good sense for when to bet on a person. And that's, you know, the core of team building. A team is basically a bunch of people you're betting on. Yes. I won't get into any details because this is maybe a little too much information, but there was a hiring decision that was happening as you were leaving the company. You had one way that you would have gone and it went another way because, you know, you left and things went another way. And everything that you said that was the justification for why you thought it would go one way all happened like over the course of a year. And I was like, wow, he really, <laughs> he really looked in the crystal ball on that one. Yeah. Hopefully experience gives you insight and again, gives you a little more luck. Now, as we were talking before we started this conversation, you were kind of giving me the cliff notes and some of the techniques that you can use to really refine your betting process, yeah. uh, so to speak. Well, it's interesting, you know, you were talking about like looking back and seeing, you know, where you were lucky and where you made the right decision. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a universal condition that all humans have that when we look back at a decision and it turned out well, it's because we made the right decision and we were very skillful. (laughs) And if it didn't turn out well, 
It's because we were unlucky. Yeah, right, right. And people will stick with losing strategies for their whole life. Every time it doesn't work as unlucky and every time it does work as, you know, a proof of the strategy. Right. That's one of the big messages of this whole book and kind of this idea is you have to train yourself to get real. They call it seeking truth, but I think it's just about really getting as clear a picture of how things really are as you possibly can. One thing that she suggests is surrounding yourself with what she calls a truth pod, like a group of people who you've all made the decision to be really straight with each other, really honest and like not letting each other sink into like biases and not letting each other, you know, take credit for things that you shouldn't have, but going in and looking at decisions and seeing how a decision could have been done better or what was good about it, despite the outcome. Mm -hmm. And she said a lot of times in her poker strategy group, they'll only look at hands that people won, but they'll still look at how they could have done them better. Because then you're taking something that you already felt good about, so it's not hard to look at it, right. but you're going in and saying, well, even though it turned out well, here, here, and here, I could have made different decisions and it would have made it even more probable that it would have turned out well. Well, I think that's interesting, forming a group. I think certainly one of the key things that helped me in business was my ability to form groups with people that I trusted and in many cases, people that had a lot more insight in areas of the company, perhaps, than I had. I always had a lot of just kind of raw market intuition and product development intuition. But from an operational side, I had you know a pretty short attention span. From a finance or accounting side, the same thing. And so I was able to work with people team members. I really like the term team, mm -hmm. forming a team, because a healthy team is all about supporting each other and helping each other accomplish their goals, their vision. And, you know, so a team, you help each other. So individuals prosper and then the team in turn prospers because everybody is succeeding. I've got to say that as I was going to place bets, whether it would be starting a new product initiative, starting a new marketing campaign, making an, an expensive hire, I would always rely on the... The truth pod. The truth pod. It took me some years to learn not to intimidate the truth pod. As the president, founder, president, CEO, I mean, it's easy to say, hey, give me your feedback and then give someone the stink eye and you know they're not gonna really give you this accurate feedback. Well, at least the time that I was there, and I know I came in a little later in the evolution of everything, but I always got the sense that the people who were the decision makers that were really in and that you were listening to their voices, all of them had figured out a way to talk back to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right. you can have a very big personality in a meeting. You can definitely steamroll people. I've seen it happen. But the people who would end up in your actual strategy meetings were people who were very capable of saying something back to you when they disagreed with you. And some of them were pretty disagreeable, like a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah. You know, this definitely speaks to their character, but I also think, you know, it really speaks to the fact that you're not just surrounding yourself with yes men and a bunch of milk toast do whatevers. No, I tried not to. And I think that this whole idea of this truth pod, when you think of, you know, building the truth pod to help you make good business decisions or building a truth pod from a social perspective with good friends, 
That's why it's so important to have good friends that you can rely on to give you feedback. I think your family, a good functioning family would be a group of people that you can go to and, you know, kind of bear your soul, ask for feedback, and and they're going to give you feedback that you can either accept or reject, but you know they're giving you feedback out of love and consideration and trust. So Yeah. Yeah. And giving you that real information is actually an act of kindness. Right. Even if it doesn't feel so right at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so these truth pods are a great strategy, right? But most decisions don't have the time to go and meet with a group of people and discuss right, them. Yeah. Most decisions happen in the moment. And so she, she actually had a few really interesting tools, I think, that were good for in-the-moment decision-making. The first one is being able to recognize when you're on tilt. Do you know this term? Well, we can imagine what that is. Yeah. <laughs> so in poker, you're on tilt when you lose a big hand and your emotions take over oh, and yeah. your initial response is to just start playing super intense and uh -huh. really aggressive. You know, like you just lost $100 so that your next bet is $500. <laughs> and poker players recognize this not only as you're not going to make good decisions when you're in that spot, but you have the capacity to make disastrous decisions. Yeah. And we all get there in that moment, you know, when you blow up at somebody it emerges in different ways in different situations. You know? Right. So one of the things that you have to know is that from now until the rest of your life, you're going to find yourself on tilt from okay. time to time. You need yeah. to be able to recognize when it happens and have a strategy on how to get out of it. You know, you're not decision fit at the okay. moment. Okay. <laughs> make no big decisions right now because yeah. you're on tilt. I like that. Yeah. If you can make a hard commitment with yourself, like, oh, I'm on tilt right now. I'm going to take myself out of whatever decision-making situation I am. That has a lot of application. Also, you know, if you look at your life and you see points where you keep making the wrong decision despite knowing that you shouldn't, like, for me, I have a hard time not snacking right before I go to bed, like yeah. making a big bread-based <laughs> sugary something right before Peanut bed. Peanut butter and honey. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Like right now, I'm not that hungry and I right. could be like, that's a bad decision. Right. But I know <laughs> come around about 11 p.m., I'm going to feel much different. So I need to make a strategy now while I'm feeling solid that is going to be able to pull me out of that. So what's your strategy? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if you had one that was working, I would want to. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I'm too. doing right now is every day when I come home, I usually get home somewhere between eight and nine at uh -huh. night. And the first thing I do is I go to the fridge and I take a little sip of apple cider vinegar. Oh, yeah. And it just kills my that, appetite. That take your appetite. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> exactly. I don't know if that's a long-term solution. <laughs> I'm going to burn my esophagus yeah. out. But another thing that she talks about that I think is really important and good is, you know, when you're making a decision, you're really in that moment. You're really like mm -hmm. trapped right there. Yeah. And you got to figure out a way to pull yourself back. See everything that's come before, what might come after, and see that this decision is in a much bigger context. And so there's a tool called 10-10-10, which is as you're making a decision, you ask yourself, how will I feel about this decision in 10 seconds, in 10 months, and in 10 years? Yeah. And oh, I like that. That gives you a chance to like kind of pop out of the moment 
start looking at how is that going to play out down the line? I think that's a really good one. Right. It, I think in business so many times you had uh, in the good old days when you would when you would write a letter to somebody, they would always say, if you're writing a grumpy letter to somebody uh, to complain about something or to confront someone, write the letter and then stick it in your file and leave it there at least 24 hours. And you know, I've done that so many times where I've written a letter or now an email, I leave it in draft and 24 hours or 48 hours, I let it go by and then I'll pull the draft and review it. And nine times out of 10, you, you won't send what you wrote. And controlling that, slowing down, slowing down your environment, I think becomes really important, especially now when we have the ability to respond so quickly and so painlessly. You can fire off a text really, really quick. Oh, yeah. When <laughs> it's going to get you in a lot of I've trouble. I've sent a few texts I wish I could pull back yeah. almost immediately. Yeah, you, and you can post a lot of snarky stuff on Facebook or mm -hmm. Instagram. You can comment on people's posts. And, you know, it's always better to, I like that 10, 10, 10, 10 seconds. What 10 months, 10, 10 months, 10, and years. 10 years. Yeah. yeah, I think that 10 years is really important. Like in the long run, is this where I want my life to go? Right. And like she also talks about, I think it's called like a back casting where uh -huh. you like think of a point out in the future where you'd like to be and look to see the steps that got you there. And if this decision like will fit in with that pattern, that's going to get you there. One thing that she mentions is you almost have to consider the negatives of a decision more than the positives. Like you have to really let yourself feel what it will be like to regret that decision to make sure that you uh -huh. want to make it like, yeah. it, like say you're about to buy a car. If you sit there and let yourself, okay, what would it feel like to really regret buying this car in a year? Like, why would I regret buying this car? And how would that feel? How much regret would that be? I mean, that's going to make you really think about that car. You're going to really think about the aspects of it. And then if you can still look at that decision and say, no, I'm pretty sure that in a year, I'm 85% sure no. that in a year, I'm going to feel really good about this car. You've now <laughs> you know, made an informed bet yeah. on that car and you feel good about it, you know? Yeah, very good. I really never use that process uh, buying the cars that I've bought. <laughs> I wish I had. I would have cut down the number of cars I purchased over my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I think this is really good for people who are looking at jobs. I think a lot of times when people are applying for jobs, a lot of their decision-making has to do on... Will they accept me or will they reject me? And if they get right. accepted, they just kind of move forward with it. Mm -hmm. Whereas they really need to make a decision at the moment where they get accepted. Like, is this right for me? So many jobs aren't the right move. It's a big commitment. I mean, it's huge to make a decision to go and work for a company. It just takes you so far down the road and it's so much of your energy gets wrapped up into it. You want to definitely make sure that's a bet you feel very, very solid on. I like this. I like this whole direction. So, you know, kind of hopping back to the book, we're talking about building these groups. Is that the term she Truth used? Truth pods. Truth pods. What are some of the other techniques and tools that she gives you to enhance your ability to place a good bet? Well, one of the things, and I've been reading about this from different authors for the last couple of years, but it's all about biases, personal cognitive biases. And there's one that you know, and everybody knows, is the sunk cost fallacy. Do you know this idea? Yeah. Where if I've spent a bunch of money on something, I'm more likely to keep spending money on it, right. even if it's clear it's not working. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. And we all know what it feels like when you're in that moment. 
you need to be able to really identify that bias. It's almost like being on tilt. You need to like be able to somehow pop yourself out of it and work on being able to pull out of these. Another big one that I see so much of today is confirmation bias. It's mm. gotten to the point where I almost can't go on social media because all I see is people doubling down on what they already know is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she has this really interesting thing about how easily we believe things. If I tell you something, what should happen is I tell you it, you think about it, you go out and do a little research, you vet it, you know? If it passes vetting, then you believe it. But what actually happens is I tell you something and you believe it. And there's not much vetting that goes on. The only time we vet is if somebody challenges us on it. Like if you said, I know that Citizen Kane won the Oscar for Best Picture, and I go, want to bet? You're going to all of a sudden go, well, how much do I know that? You know, <laughs> Maybe I need to do a Google real fast. Right. And so if you can start introducing that, just asking yourself, if you're really sure of something, imagine another person in your head going, oh, yeah, want to bet? Like yeah. how sure, like how much vetting have you done? You know, you're not 100% sure where are you on that spectrum. And just that exercise can really start to let you know, tune you into the fact that you kind of live in uncertainty all the time. And that's fine, but you just need to accept that you don't absolutely know everything you think you know. Well, I, that's really interesting because we do have a tendency to be very, very sure of ourselves yeah. so often when we are sure of ourselves, like you say, only because someone else has told us. i give you an example. I'm sure that I want to plant up at the ranch 500 apple trees, right? Yeah. And apple trees grow really well out in Mesa Grande, and we're at about 35 to 3,700 feet, and we get the cold snap we need on and on. And there's huge apple orchards in Wynola and Julian. And so I know that I want to grow apples. And so I started to shop around locally and I can see, okay, well, these apple trees are going to be expensive to buy. So fast forward, I do a little research and now I'm becoming an apple orchard expert and I know I need to buy bare root trees. And I research the kind of apple trees that grow well out in our area. Cool. Pink Lady, Jonathan, Empire, etc. So I've become an Apple expert. <laughs> and uh, so now I call up one of the nation's largest provider of bare root apple trees, <laughs> Dave Wilson, that's uh, up in uh, Central California. And I'm ready to place my bet. And I talked to the sales manager and really a nice guy. I mean, this is a really quality organization, this Dave Wilson's group. You know, and I'm really sure I'm really confident of myself going to place my bet. And I said, yeah, I want to order 500 trees. And he said, well, right now is a super busy time. You know, we're filling orders for ranchers that order between 5, 10, and 20,000 bare root trees at a time throughout the country. But we'll get back to you. So anyway, long story short is he sends me an email and asks me, okay, I understand the trees you want, the variety, but do you want the M9 through 330 or do you want the N6 through 70? I have no idea what he's talking about. So what I did was I copied his question yeah. and I plugged it into Google yes. to educate myself. Uh-huh. And I could have just emailed him quickly back and said, hey, I'm just going to go with your recommendation. I mean, there were a lot of things I could have done. And if I was in a conversation, I could have kind of bluffed my way through. But I, you know, in this case, because I'm going to spend some money, I pressed the pause button. I thought, 
let's educate. Let's educate myself. Yeah. And my point is, information is just really a click away. Yeah. And, and we can become so much better informed. We don't have to bluff. We can make informed decisions and then place the right bets, make the right decision. And in this case, you actually have a pretty big monetary bet going. You know, it's going to cost a lot of money. <laughs> it's cost a lot of money. But in those decisions where you don't have a bunch of money on it, you know, it has to do with where your life is going or how you're going to spend your time. We don't always decide to do that research at those points, you know, doing that more is uh, something you can and, and that really, really benefit is from. Probably unfortunate too. I mean, the monetary concern that you have shouldn't be the only thing that motivates you to expand your knowledge, right? Yeah, I, I, mean, I think it's just because it's really clear, you know, it's right. really defined. Yeah. Like if I go, oh, if you make the wrong decision here, you're going to be kind of unhappy later. You're like, what does that mean? But if I'm like, if you make the wrong decision here, you're going to lose $10,000. You're like, well, I know what that means. <laughs> I, I understand that. <laughs> I'm going to try not to actually come down on a side of this just because it's such a hot button issue, but there's this thing happening right now in the news that I think is the perfect example of confirmation bias. Have you seen this story about the kid and the Native American man who faced off in Washington, D.C.? You know, I have not seen that yet. Here's the general story. There was a march in Washington, D.C., and there was a video taken of a 16-year-old kid, I think, you know, a red Make America Great hat and 65-year-old Native American man playing a drum. And they're face-to-face, right in each other's faces. The kid's smiling and the Native American man is singing and playing drums right into his face. You know what? I saw a picture of that, but I didn't read the article. Okay. I did see that. Right now <laughs> online, every single conservative Republican thinks that that Native American was out of line and was getting in this young kid's face and it was totally unacceptable. And every single liberal Democrat thinks that that kid is a white privileged snot who was smiling <laughs> like uh, he was smirking at the Native American. And it's funny because I've watched all the videos and really honestly. It yeah. is imperfect information. Everybody's just extrapolating their own bias. Everybody is 100% yeah. sure they know what these people are thinking. And there's nothing you can do to change anybody's mind. Right. If, you start, if you start discussing it with them and you, they sense that you're not on their side, huh. they blow up. And it's evenly distributed, I think, huh. on both left and right. And I just think it's so funny. I'm just watching it going like, everybody knows you can't read minds, right? right. Like Nobody right. knows. I think politics is where... This confirmation bias comes up the most. And I do think that right now people have retreated into confirmation bias more than I've ever seen it. You know, I don't know if it's ever been this big of a deal. Well, I don't think we've ever seen it, you know, in the country like this, you know, certainly during my lifetime, I think about the whole concept that you're talking about as it applies to business. If you're a leader, whether you're a manager or, you know, the president of a company, if you go in to lead a meeting and you have got a preconceived notion, you've already decided the direction you're going to push the meeting, you may win that battle, but you're not going to win the war. I found early on in my career when I wasn't as wise as I, I hopefully <laughs> am now, you know, when I would kind of pound my fist and say, this is what we're doing. Yeah, you know, I could exert my will and power to make something happen, but it's not any way to build trust and support and backing of the team when you do that. And I think that that's kind of what we're alluding to with politics is when you're not inclusive, 
And when you exert your will in any kind of organization and you don't build consensus, it, it creates a lot of problems. Yeah. yeah. I've heard kind of contradictory advice here a little bit in that one of the things about probabilistic thinking is if you admit to yourself about a decision that you're not 100% about it, you're going to start thinking of kind of plan B and plan C in case you're wrong. Like if I'm 70% sure of something, but I'm 30% not sure of it, I'm going to make the decision to do that thing. But in my mind, I'm like, well, there's a 30% chance I'm wrong. I better have a backup plan. Whereas sometimes I've heard people really, they say like burn the ships, you know, right. like where you get somewhere and you cut off all other possibilities so that, you know, you kind of force the one decision that you've made. And I guess there's kind of two ways that can go. Yeah. <laughs> it can either come through for you or you can fail and have no backup plan. Right. And certainly in business, I would never approach business that way. Yeah. I would, no one would ever advise somebody to invest that way. Right. You know, it's the, you know, the whole concept of diversifying that seems to me to be somewhat of a compulsive yeah. behavior. Yeah. But I call that flying the plane into the side of the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think the takeaway message of this is probabilistic thinking, this moving from certainty to confidence, mm -hmm. getting real with yourself and looking at your biases and your motivations and trying to just make a decision. It's not about making the decision right once. It's about the culminative fact of all the decisions you make. Yeah. So yeah. even if it doesn't turn out exactly how you wanted it to, that doesn't mean the decision was right or wrong. You have to wait longer and take a much bigger set of decisions to be able to see that. Yeah. And I think a good takeaway from this discussion, it sounds like the book is make sure that you have got those pods together where you can really think through these decisions, these bests that you're placing. That should become a really important part of the process. I know it has with me. And you want to make sure that those pods are full of a diversity of opinion, a diversity of viewpoints, right. Right. you know, uh, different styles of working and thinking, mm -hmm. because if you just surround yourself with a bunch of, you know, mini me's, <laughs> it's not going to help anything. Yeah. That's going to be really irritating. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've always been a very good counterpoint to a lot of my thoughts. Even just the other day, I've called you up and bounced some ideas off you. I always yeah. feel like you and I are able to kind of say where things are working and they're not in a right. good way, yeah. but also from different kind of points of view. And I feel that way too, Kirk. I know, you know, when we were working super close together there at FMG, I really, you know, in building all those presentations that you built and then, you know, talking about you did all the heavy lifting and you know, I'd come in and we'd bat ideas around, you know, if did we need to fine tune it or tweak it. I always felt like the end product was always better when we did that or when I was thinking about a direction, you know, I'd pull you in and others. Yeah, the tides rise and I think things definitely improve. So I like this topic. The name of the book again? Thinking in Bets Thinking by in Annie bets. Duke. This is not a book for chronic gamblers. or no, It really isn't. I was kind of excited to read it because I'm like, well, this will be good, you know, kind of just for thoughts in general. Yeah. And it'll also be good for my poker game. I don't feel like it's done that much for my poker game. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been to the casino yet since. I, but maybe it will. Maybe yeah, I'll go in there knows? and I'll come out a millionaire <laughs> the next time. So anyway, thanks for letting me share that with you. Right, and uh, you. look forward to whatever you have to offer next. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. All right. We'll see you later. Bye.
Thank you.